This podcast is presented to you by High Desert Word Center in Barstow, California. For more information, visit hdwc.org. And I got to say that, you know, I we've we've had a very uh I mean, I think deep couple of months we've been talking about this discipleship on Sunday mornings and just seeing out of this world results, people's lives really being changed in a for real way. And I've loved that. And on Wednesday nights, we've been studying spiritual warfare and and I've seen incredible results off of that. And a lot of this has been just very uh, corrective for a lot of us. It's been very uh, in your face. And and that's great. And so it's been my desire, man. I'd like to just do uh, some feel good stuff for a while. I'd like to do some rainbows and ponies for a minute. But <laughs> but so I had a good one written, man. I was ready to go Friday night. Sent the handouts off to the printer and or to Desiree and all this stuff. I'm like, man, let's just let's just get warm and fuzzy. It's almost Thanksgiving. But then the Lord gave me something uh, yesterday that I can't deny and I can't change. And it's not corrective and it's not uh, in your face. But uh, I want to talk to you this morning about the the single topic that has changed my life more than any other thing. I've preached on it, uh, I think, maybe two or three times in uh, in 11 years. And this, because I, I, don't, I don't like to just throw stuff out there, man. I, I want it to be real, but I'm telling you, this topic that we're going to discuss today and probably for a week or two is uh, the, has changed my life more than anything has ever changed my life. And I'm pretty knowledgeable about different Bible topics you know, I'm not, I don't have any need to toot my own horn. I have three Bible college degrees. I know a little bit about the Bible, not, not as much as a lot of people. But, uh, but this topic is the thing that I've studied more than anything else in the Bible. I've not studied any other topic more than what we're going to talk about today, and it's called the fear of the Lord. And, and, that, and it's interesting because a lot of people, they have no idea what that is. And maybe you've heard me talk about it a time or two, and, and maybe you're like, well, that doesn't sound too interesting. I wanted to hear about, you know, the warm and fuzzy. And, and that's fine. We'll get to that because, I, you know, I love the encouraging feel good stuff. But this will be feel good stuff if you'll get a hold of it. This will be warm and fuzzy. This will change your life if you'll give God a few minutes of your time today. But I can say without any fear of contradiction that when I got the fear of the Lord in my life, when I started to fear God in the right way, which I'll explain in a minute, nothing else has ever changed my life more than when I truly got a hold of this. I've, I've spent countless hours. Uh, I, I've spent much of my time. You could look through my Bible right now. And anytime I see a verse that says fear of the Lord or fear of God, I, I put a star beside it. I put the initials F-O-T-L. And there are hundreds of verses all throughout my Bible. And so what I'm trying to do as I get into this message is, man... This means a lot to me, and I don't just throw it out there. I don't, you know, Jesus said, don't cast your pearls before swine. And and what I'm saying is, I I don't just, this topic right here, I don't just throw this out here because I don't have nothing to preach about. This is the most life-changing thing that I've ever experienced for me. Now, maybe, you know, I don't know what it's going to be for you. And I realize that in any given message I've said this, and it's not a bad confession, that sometimes... People here, this, I guarantee you that some of you, this will fly right over your head and you won't listen to a word of it. And that's fine. You're not hurting my feelings. That's totally fine with me. But I'm praying that for those that will be the good ground, as Jesus said, when the sower went to sow the seed, some fell on thorny ground. Some fell on hard ground. Some fell on the ground that it just got trampled underneath people's foots because it got just tossed on the sidewalk. But then he said there was this percentage when he tossed the word out there, when he sowed the word, that they really really 
gutted in their lives and it changed their lives. It produced up to 100 times as much as had been planted. And so I'm going to give you the most important topic to me uh, that, that the Lord's ever given to me. So I, I, I pray that you will receive it. I pray that you will listen today and, and that it'll change your life because, again, I don't just throw this out there. Not very often will I talk about this because it means that much to me. And I don't want to just throw it out there. You know, this means a lot to me. So I want you to listen today. I want you to get into it. And I believe that God is going to change your life if you'll let him. It's not up to him. He wants to change your life. God wants to speak to you today. God wants to rock your world today. But it's up to you if it's going to happen. Because he already knows what he wants to do. It's up to the receiver. Amen? And so if you need an outline for the message, raise your hand and the ushers will get you one. I see them scrambling right now like I just threw a bowling ball. <laughs> like bowling pins. All right. But if you need an outline, raise your hand and they're going to get you one. Let's go ahead and pray. And then we're going to get into this. And I really know that for some people people, this will be a life-changing day. Let's pray. Father, in the name of Jesus, I thank you, Lord, so much for, Lord, who you are, just like we were just singing, God. We don't love you for your stuff, Lord. We're not gold diggers. We're not here serving you because we need bailed out. We're not serving you because you're really rich, though you are. Lord, we're here because we love you. That's the reason. We just want you. Lord, your stuff's nice, and I thank you for your blessings, but I don't want you for your stuff. I want you for you, Jesus, because I love you. And I pray today that as we study the word of God, please, Lord, let us see what we need to see. Let us let us hear what we need to hear, Lord. Uh, no, I didn't say let us hear what we want to hear. I said, Lord, let us hear what we need to hear today, and let us see what we need to see and change our lives forever because of who you are. In Jesus' name, everybody said... Amen. All right. So let's get into this. The word of God in a lot of places, maybe you've seen it, it, it talks about the fear of the Lord. It talks about those who fear the Lord will lack no good thing. Those who fear the Lord will hate sin. Those who fear the Lord. And it's all over, especially the Psalms and the Proverbs. But it is from the front of the Bible to the back, all the way through the New Testament. It's everywhere. What does that mean? Because for me, for I mean, my whole life. Um, until I was in my 20s, I was like, man, I mean, God's a good God. It says he comes to give us life and life more abundantly. It says he's my savior. He's my healer. Why do I got to be afraid of him? Why would I be afraid of the one that is here to save my life? Why would I be afraid of that? And it tells me everywhere, fear the Lord. You got to fear the Lord. What, what does that mean? Well, you've got to realize that that word fear Okay, that is not our modern day English word terror or, or, or being afraid. Fearing the Lord is not being afraid of Him. The fear of the Lord, especially mentioned here in the Old Testament, is from a Hebrew word, yirah, which means, uh, reverence, respect, submission. And so, when I say that I fear God, I don't say that I'm afraid of Him. There is a place for that. There are some people that should be very afraid of God. And I will get to that. But when it says to fear the Lord, that means to have the, the, the best way that we could put it. In our, and you realize our English language, and we're kind of one of the weaker languages. We don't do very good describing things. But the best way that we could describe it in modern English to fear the Lord is to have a deep, 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 deep respect and reverence for God. When it says that you fear the Lord, 
you're saying, I respect, I have reverence for him. There are things that I simply won't do, though I want to, because I respect God too much. I, I don't want to. I don't want to do that to him. I don't want to bring. Uh, I don't want to bring uh, sorrow to God. You mean you can make God sad? Oh yeah, you can make God sad, and I'm going to show you that. But listen to me. When we're talking about the fear of the Lord, that doesn't mean that you're afraid of Him. He's your Father. He's not going to hurt you. But what it means is that you reverence and respect Him, and you've got to get a hold of this. And so one one good definition I read is fearing God means having such a reverence for him that it has a great impact on the way we live our lives. The fear of God is respecting him, obeying him, submitting to his discipline and worshiping him in awe. And so if everybody's on the same page here, we'll proceed that we're talking about the fear of the Lord. That does not mean that you're afraid of him. That means that you reverence him. And when I got this. When I got it changed, it changed my entire life. I quit watching most of the things that I watched on TV because I cared too much about what God thought. I quit doing half the stuff. I mean, it changed everything about me. And it wasn't because well, I don't want God to get mad at me. You know, get on his bad side. Wow. That's not the fear of the Lord. The fear of the Lord. I love him too much to do something to hurt him. I love him too much. And so let's break this down. Uh, there are two types of the fear of the Lord mentioned in Scripture, two types and uh, and I want you to get a hold of this. So the first fear of the Lord, number one, is the sinner's fear. The sinner's fear. And this is being afraid of God, being scared. And somebody that is a sinner, you know, if you're a born again Christian, then hey, you don't. This does not apply to you. But I need to explain this. Is uh, the, so the first thing here is the sinner's fear. We're going to look at a verse in the Old Testament, Isaiah. 2 and verse 19. Isaiah 2, 19. Thank you. Yes, yes, yes. <laughs> Isaiah 2, 19. Man, we're going to have, we're going to have some good times. The holidays are here upon us. We're going to get warm and fuzzy. We're going to laugh. We're going to have fun. But I feel that today is a more serious tone and it's not a, it's not a, it's not a down and out or it's not a, it's not a, a you know, shaking the finger in our face. It's not that. This is life-changing and exciting, but I will admit this is a little more serious uh, than, than what I you know, normally am. But Isaiah 2, in verse 19, and this is talking about when God does come to judge the earth and judge sinners, his enemies. When the Lord rises to shake the earth, his enemies will crawl into holes in the ground. They will hide in caves in the rocks from the terror of the Lord and the glory of his majesty. Now, that's being afraid. That's pure terror. And and who does it say that that applies to? It says when he comes to shake the earth, his enemies will crawl into holes in the ground. And I'm telling you, there is judgment. There is a day of judgment, and it will come. And God's going to, I mean, light this place on fire, okay? He judged it by water, and it's going to get judged by fire someday. Now, I'm not afraid of that. I don't plan to be around for that. But I'm telling you right now. If you're an enemy of God, if you are, then yeah, you have every right to be afraid of God. And that's a fear of the Lord right there that, that I don't have. I'm not afraid that God's going to come and I'm going to have to hide in a, in a hole, crawl into a cave to get away from him. And the stupidity of that, the, the irony is that you can't hide from God anywhere. He created the rock. He created the cave. You can't hide from him anywhere. David said in Psalm 139, where could I go to get away from your presence? 
I could go down into the earth. I, I could I could try to hide anywhere, but you will always find me. You can't get away from you. And so just know right now, you could never hide from God. You can hide from people, but you cannot hide from God. Jonah found that out, right? He jumped. He, he had them throw him overboard into the sea, and a great fish came and swallowed him. And he was in there for a few days, and here he was. God found him. There he was. Talking to God, God talking to him, and thank God he handled it the right way. But there is no possible way to hide from God. It is not going to happen. But here we are. This right here is talking about an actual fear. Now, God will have to judge those who did not receive him. Why? Because God's a God of justice. Thank God that we serve a God of mercy. I love the mercy of God. Thank God we serve a God of grace and forgiveness and love and compassion. He is quick to love. He is slow to anger. But the Bible does tell us he's a God of justice. And justice will be served. Now, that you know, thank God that if we've sinned, we can call on the name of the Lord. We shall be saved. First John 1, 9 tells us that if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Thank God for that. That's the mercy of God. Thank God for it. But he's also a God of justice. And to those that keep pushing him around and thinking that nothing's going to happen, justice will eventually be served. To those that are mockers and scoffers, and we have so many in our day and age that shake their fist at the heavens, that, that, that absolutely defy God and spit in his face. Listen, there will be a day of judgment for them. Am I cheering it on and hoping for it to happen? No, it's terrifying. It's, it's, it's crazy. But I'm telling you right now, God is a God of justice. And if he didn't judge sin, then he'd be a liar. Because he said he was going to. He said that you can't get away with this forever. God will judge sin. So, someone that's living in direct opposition to God, they will have the fear of the Lord. But it's not the reverence. It is actually being scared and afraid of God. And sadly, you know, there are more people, as I said, in our day and age, scoffing at God that would be called an enemy of God than, than ever before. I think that in the history of the world, I mean, you see it everywhere. People just absolute pure, crazy evil and just rubbing it in your face. And they don't care. They're, they're not afraid of nothing. They're like, oh, God, he's not even real. Sadly, that has even crept inside of churches where, 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 where there's, I know Christians that scoff and mock at God. I was watching a famous, famous Christian just the other day who, uh, I, I mean, I've seen him on Christian TV for years. Very famous. I won't say his name, but very, very famous. A-list famous. And he came out to, to explain, you know, how, you know, don't, he was coming out and say, don't let, don't let your beliefs in the Bible be overridden by science. Is what he was getting at. Science trumps the Bible. Now you, you get your inspiration from the Bible, but if science doesn't agree with the Bible, you go with science. And his, he was trying to make the case for the, you know, men dressing like women and us having to call them women and us having to, anyway, I'm not going to go that route. But I'm saying, no, you're a dude. You're a dude. Okay? And I'm not going to call you a girl because you're not. You're a dude. And I don't feel bad about saying that. And I don't feel bad at all. But this guy said, now, now listen, you do your research on this, but don't go, don't go to Christian websites. You go to, go to science. I'm like, wow. Here's a guy that I have heard 
I mean, teach me on, on, on Christian TV for years. Everybody in this room knows him. And I'm just absolutely shocked that he would come down to that. Why is it? Why would you say something dumb like that? Because you don't fear God. You don't fear God. And now you're scoffing God and saying, oh, don't, listen, don't, that, that Christian stuff, don't, 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 don't let the Bible get in the way of your beliefs. It's basically what he's saying. And I know people that live like that. The Bible's a good book for inspiration, but you don't want that to mess with what you really believe, do you? Come on. That's a dangerous place to be in. So, who are God's enemies? Well, let's break this down. You're like, oh, I don't, I don't agree with that. I mean, God has no one. He's a God of love. Well, hey, there are people that pit themselves against God. God's not against them. They chose to be against Him. So, Romans 5 and verse 10. Romans 5.10. I'm going to get to the better stuff here in a few minutes, but we do have to cover, you know, <laughs> fear number one, the sinner's fear. Well, I've got to cover this, even though it's not what the main thing is today. So we're talking about who are God's enemies. And the first thing is this. The, the first enemies, I would say, is wicked sinners. I'm using old school language that probably rubs a lot of uh, our modern people and, you know, a lot of us wrong but we'll go play with Play-Doh when you get home, okay? You go <laughs> blow some bubbles, make you feel better. But I'm going to say, wicked sinner, they're enemies of God. Romans 5, verse 10. In the New King James, it says, For if, when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of His Son, much more, having been reconciled, we shall be saved by His life. What were you before you were a Christian? You were a sinner. I was a sinner. I, I used to be a sinner. You used to be a sinner, right? And so it says right here, if when we were enemies, we used to be enemies of God, whether you meant it, whether you tried to, whether you knew it or not, we were enemies, but then we were reconciled to God. Thank you, Jesus, that Jesus came and made a bridge between God and man. And now I'm not an enemy of God. I'm his son. You're his daughter. You are the one that he loves. God loves you. And so, man, that is, that's powerful when you get that concept, when you get that revelation that Jesus came and forged the gap between someone that was an enemy of God. God was not your enemy. You were an enemy towards him. He didn't do you wrong. You were doing him wrong, right? And so we're not going to put the blame on God here, but it says... We were enemies of God. And I realize that some people that aren't Christians, they're not necessarily the worst people in the world. There's some really nice people that I know that aren't Christians yet. They need to be. They need to have the life of God in them. But I know polite, kind people that aren't Christians. But sadly, they're not on God's side. They're still an enemy of God because they haven't made him the Lord of their life. And so... There are some unsaved people, even though that are, there's the nice, kind, okay ones, but they're still going to hell. And then there's the really mean, nasty, <laughs> in your face. I'm going to say, I'm going to swear in front of your children, and I don't care. I'm going to do nasty things in front of you and your kids, and, and it doesn't bother me. I, you know those people. I know those people. They're everywhere. And there are the defiant Sinners, okay? And so I'm going to show you a funny, to me funny, Old Testament story in 1 Samuel chapter 5. This is a funny story, alright? I'm going to, we're going to lighten it here. 1 Samuel chapter 5, and this is the story of Dagon. Anybody love Dagon? No, you don't, don't say, no, you don't love Dagon. We don't like Dagon. Dagon, Dagon. Where I'm from, they say Dagum. Dagum. Pert near nail. 
Believe me, I know some hillbillies, and I, I are related to some. <laughs> but 1 Samuel chapter 5, we're going to look at verses 2 through 4. This is the story of the Philistines. They captured the Ark of the Covenant, the Ark of the Lord, uh, that the, the children of Israel, the Israelite nation, they had the Ark of the Covenant, man. This is where they still had some manna from back in the day. They stored holy things in this, and the presence of God at that time was kept in the Ark of the Covenant. Because the Holy Spirit hadn't been poured out into the earth to live in us. Now the presence of God, it lives directly in us. We have, do you realize you got the Holy Spirit in you as a New Testament Christian? That's a great big deal. But back then, not everybody just had the Holy Spirit living in them. So they had the presence of God was contained in the Ark of the Covenant. It was a big, big, huge, huge deal. But the Philistines, they thought it would be cute to steal it. They thought it would be cute to run off with the Ark of the Covenant, and it did not turn out well for them. And so, 1 Samuel 5, verse 2, it says, They carried the Ark of God into the temple of Dagon and placed it beside an idol of Dagon. That was their God. But when the citizens of Ashdod went to see it the next morning, Dagon had fallen with his face to the ground in front of the Ark of the Lord. Imagine that. He's bowing down to God. Dagon, Dagon. He was bowing down to God. And so they took Dagon and put him in his place again. They sat him up and put their little God back where where they thought he belonged. But the next morning, the same thing happened. Dagon had fallen face down before the ark of the Lord again. But this time, his head and hands had broken off and were lying in the doorway. Aw, Dagon, your hands fell off, little guy. Only the trunk of his body was left intact. Sounds like someone like smacked Dagon and hit him with an axe or something. Like, he fell to pieces. Let's get down to verse 6 here. It says, Then the Lord's heavy hand struck the people of Ashdod and the nearby villages with a plague of tumors. When the people realized what was happening, they cried out. They cried out, We can't keep the ark of the God of Israel here any longer. He is against us. Really? They're catching on here. Like, we got to get this thing out of here. It's going to kill all of us. They've all got tumors. Dagon has no arms. They, there's nothing. This is just falling to pieces here. And they're like, we got to get this out of here. He is against us. We will all be destroyed along with Dagon, our God. And so they, they're getting it, man. You don't mess with the Holy One of Israel. You don't mess with Jehovah God. You do not mess with the great I am. And then verse 9 here, let's look at verse 9. It says, but when, so they got it out of there. But when the ark arrived at Gath, that was another Philistine town, the Lord's heavy hand fell on its men, young and old. He struck them with a plague of tumors, and there was a great panic. So they sent the ark of God to the town of Ekron. But when the people of Ekron saw it coming, they cried out. They said, no, we know what's going to happen. They're bringing the ark of the God of Israel here to kill us too. The people summoned the Philistine rulers again and begged them, please send the ark of the God of Israel back to its own country or it's going to kill us all. For the deadly plague from God has already begun. And look at this, great fear was sweeping across the town. Now that's fear of the Lord right there, but that's not the same fear that we have. These people were messing around with God. They thought it would be funny to mess around with God, to mess around with Jehovah. And they saw it's not really funny to, to scoff God. It's not really that funny to mess around with God. It's one thing to like, well, I don't believe. That's bad enough. 
It's another thing where you make it your goal to go messing with God and scoffing and mocking. And they brought, they captured, listen, that did not turn out well. So they finally get it out of here, give it back to Israel. It's going to kill every single one of us. That's terror and that's fear, but that's not reverence. You get it? You get it? And so the second thing that I'm going to say is an enemy of God. I didn't know how to word this. I used to word it different, but I came up with this. Who, who, who is an enemy of God? Well, one is wicked sinners. Two is, I'm going to call them poser Christians. They're posers. It's on the screen, mom. P-O-S-E-R. <laughs> My mom's like, spell that. <laughs> posers, man. You know what a poser is? They're fake. They're acting like it, but they aren't. There's posers out there, man. And so let's look at Philippians chapter 3. Philippians 3. Yeah. So let's get this. Philippians chapter 3. We're going to look at verses 18 through 19. Because as we've clearly studied for like the past six weeks, so I really don't think we need to cover that much more, but obviously not everybody that says they're a Christian is a Christian, right? Not everybody is. They may like God, they may get inspiration from God, but they are not submitted to God. And so, not everybody that says, yeah, I'm a Christian, just, you know, we celebrate Christmas, we, we do Easter, we're, yeah, the, well, we're not Muslims, we must be Christians. You know, we're not Hindus, we're not, you know, I guess that, that leaves Christianity. We were born in America, so that makes us a Christian. Well, that's, no, that, you're, that's not it. Uh, and, and so there's also, obviously, the next level of some people, they say, they really are a Christian, but that's not good enough for them. They want to be a disciple. And so that's that's where we're, that's the target there is for us to not only be a born again Christian, but to become a disciple of Jesus Christ. But unfortunately, uh, there are Christian, well, posers, people that say they're a Christian, that actually they do a lot of damage to the kingdom of God. Philippians 3 Verses 18 through 19, Paul said, and he's writing this, the book of Philippians is written to Christians. This was not written to, to be an evangelical book to the unsaved. This is written to, to Christians. He says, for I have told you often before, and I say it again with tears in my eyes, that there are many whose conduct shows they are really enemies of the cross of Christ. They are headed for destruction. Their God is their appetite. They brag about shameful things. And they think only about this life here on earth. Now that's talking about somebody that, that claims the title. They identify, they self-identify as being a Christian. It said their conduct said they're really an enemy of the cross of Christ. How could that be? Well, I'll ask you this. What's more dangerous? An enemy that you already know is your enemy? Or an enemy from within your own ranks? An infiltrator, a Benedict Arnold, somebody that's that's within there, and maybe they don't even realize it. Maybe they think that, that they've got it all together, but listen to me. What's more dangerous? I know if I'm going to war, I, I expect the guys lined up against me to be firing at me, but when the guys beside me start doing it, I didn't see that one coming. And it says... Somebody like that, somebody that, that, that they brag about shameful things. Their, their, their God is their appetite. They only think about life here on this earth. They don't ever think about heaven. It says someone like that, their conduct shows that in all reality, they're not a Christian. And more than that, they're an enemy of the cross of Christ. 
You know, a word that we use for someone like that is heretic. That's a, you know, that's a, you know, a five dollar word that we don't say a whole lot, but it's, there are, there are heretics, somebody that, that claims to be a Christian or, you know, they've given their lives to Jesus, but they don't live for him at all. They're doing damage. They're firing at the cross, basically. They're saying, you can, you can, you can do anything you want to do. As long as you say you're a Christian, doesn't matter. It says that's an enemy of the cross of Christ. That's a heretic. And there is a day of reckoning that comes for heretics. And again, we're not on the sidelines cheering for that to happen, but it does eventually happen. And so I, I we're getting ready to get into the, to the, the next fear of the Lord, but I'm telling you, I examined my life when I studied some of these things. I, 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 I have judged myself thoroughly, very thoroughly judged myself and saw things that I didn't like, things that God didn't like. And this has been over the course since 2011 when the Lord spoke this to me. So for seven years, I have judged myself and been hard on myself. And I believe that everybody should do that. I'm not here to make, I mean, hey, I'm, 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 I'm a big screw up in a lot of areas. I'm not here to make myself, I, I'm trying to tell you that I've lived this. I'm not just talking about something I read about. I'm talking about I have judged myself. I have cut things out of my life that I used to like. But I can't anymore because Jesus doesn't like it. And so, fear number one that we looked at here, the sinner's fear, that's actually being scared of God. And you're going to fall into this category if you're either not a born-again Christian or if you just you don't have things right with God. And so that's something for you to consider. But now I want to get into the second thing, the main thing, the Christian's fear. Now, I believe this is what the majority of people here today would fall into, because I, I believe that most of you here are, are true born-again Christians. So the Christian's fear, this type of fear, as we said already, mainly means respect and reverence. Reverence is a more of a better word than respect, but we understand respect better than reverence. One of my college professors put it this way, the, the, when he said, when I fear God, I have a fear of disappointing our Father. I don't want to let dad down. He's put, he's invested a lot into me. He's invested a lot into you. How, well, what has he ever invested in me? He gave his one and only son. How much more could you invest? He gave his one and only son. I don't want to let him down. And so, when you fear the Lord, let's say that, and I hope you get this, because I'm trying to put things into words that I'm not real good at putting into words. When you fear the Lord, you are constantly aware that He's in the room with you. When you fear God, you are, you are, you are aware of that everywhere you go, that Jesus is there in that room. You don't have to think about it. Well, what would, what would, what would I do if Jesus was here? He is here! He's, he's everywhere, man. He said, I'll never leave you or forsake you. In Matthew 28, he said, I am with you always, even to the end of the world. That's very inspirational when you're feeling lonely, but it's also really scary when you're out there doing something you shouldn't do. Because he meant it. I am with you always. That's great inspiration, but it's also kind of sobering to think about, isn't it? That, and when, and when you really fear the Lord, when you really get this as being who you are in life, you are constantly aware of this. You do not need reminded. You go to do, oh wait, I'm sorry, Lord. You know what? I'm not going to do that. You don't like that. Uh, and, and it's, and I, it's not because I, I'm, I'm afraid of making him mad at me. It's because 
he's my father. He, he gave everything. I don't want to hurt him. I, I don't want to do that to him. That's disrespectful to him. Right? And so when we fear the Lord, we are constantly aware of his presence. I mean, you can envision Jesus standing there right beside you. And when you have that vision of Jesus sitting on the couch with you, I promise you, you will not watch the same things on TV that you used to watch. Promise you. Now, I was never a guy that watched super bad, you know, terrible things or whatever. But, you know, a little cussing here and there didn't bother me. Like, yeah, you know, whatever. But when I get a hold of this, I can't stand it. It makes me sick to my stomach. I hate it. Despise it. Because Jesus is sitting right there. You know, some guys are like, you know, don't talk that way in front of my kids. Don't talk that way in front of my wife. And that's good. You should have that. But I'm like, don't talk that way in front of my Jesus. He's sitting right here. But the thing, I'm not going to allow that and invite that into my home where Jesus lives. I'm going to invite this nasty stuff on TV, these nasty, despicable movies, comedians that that mock God. I know, but he's funny. Really? Okay. Hey, man, you do what you do what you're going to do, man. But when I got a hold of the fear of God, it changed our household. It changed our home, big time. Big time. And another thing I'll say is when you have the fear of the Lord, you don't have to be bribed with blessings to serve God. Now, this seems to be a theme that we keep knocking on the door, but I think we may just open the door and walk in today. Uh, when, when, you, when you have the fear of the Lord, you don't have to be bribed with God's blessings to serve Him. You know, tithe. He'll open the windows of heaven. Come here. Come on. Get over here. He'll, he'll pour out a blessing on you. And He will. He will. But just simply obeying God's not good enough to get some of us to obey Him. So we have to constantly, all the time, go over. Now, I know it's a sacrifice, but, but you get this, okay? I promise you, you will get something out of it. And thank God we do. But if the only way you'll obey God is because you're going to get something out of it, you don't fear the Lord. Serve in the church, serve in the nursery. We need somebody, and I promise that God will, uh, he'll be really, he'll, he'll, he'll pour out a blessing on you, I promise. Fine, but what about, you know, God said, hey, don't suffer the little children from coming to me. Be like them. What, what, what about stuff like that, where, where God showed us again and again how much he loves kids? That's good enough for me to serve God and serve kids, and, and, you know, that's enough right there. But, as I quoted earlier, in Genesis 15, 1, God rolls up on Abraham, and Abraham was rich. You've got to know, Abraham was in our day a multi-billionaire. He was loaded, and his blessings came from the hand of God, and he was fully aware of that. God poured out money and, and cattle and possessions and lands, and Abraham was loaded. But God comes up in Genesis 15, 1, and says, Abraham, I am your exceedingly great reward. So, wait a minute. All this stuff isn't the reward? And a lot of us are like, I'm, yeah, I'm serving God because I get all this stuff, man. It's great. I want it. I want, I want the peace. I want the joy. I want the love. I want, I want all this stuff. And thank God for it. I'm not denying that you get those things. But what I'm saying is, what about if we just said, God, you are my exceeding great reward. I love you for you. Not for what you do for me. I love you for you. 
What if we were like Abraham? And, and yeah, God lavished Abraham with money and all sorts of stuff. And the, I mean, I'm all for that. Absolutely. But out of all of that, God didn't say, hey, Abraham, this herd of a thousand cattle over here, that's your reward, Abraham. How can we just say, Abraham, a billion dollars right here. Here's your reward for serving me and leaving the land of your ancestors. He said, Abraham, I will be your reward. That's something to mull over, to ponder. I mean, it's worth, it's worth looking at. But I'm telling you, when you fear the Lord, you don't have to be bribed with the blessings to serve God. The blessings will come. But that is not the reason you do things for God. And Jesus said in John 14, he said, if you love me, you'll obey me. Something to consider. Another thing I'll say about the fear of God is when you come to this place of respect and reverence from God, you will offend other people. Because you care more about how God feels now than they do. And that's something to consider. That the more you become a disciple, the more that you grow in your faith and become more of a Christian, it can start to get a little more lonely at times. And that's why often Jesus reminds you, hey, I'll never leave you or forsake you. Because when you're the only one not drinking that stuff, but everybody else is, it gets lonely. When you're the only one that doesn't no idea what TV, you know, what show they're talking about at the break room, the only one that's not, you know, looking at nasty things on the cell phones in the break room, guys. Listen, when you're the only one, that can be a little bit lonely sometimes. And Jesus said, hey, you know what? I'm with you. I'll be right there with you. But it will start to make people mad. If you're a person that hasn't lived in the fear of the Lord and now you choose to, it will rub your friends and family the wrong way. What's wrong now? Think you're holier than me? Yes. (laughs) I do. (laughs) You think you're more righteous? Now, I'm I'm not more righteous than you, no. Because if you're a Christian, we've all been made the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. Yes. But don't tell me some... Christian that's passed out drunk sleeping around and then some, you know, beautiful, you know, Dylan here sitting in church. They're not. No, he's more holy than they are. Don't be stupid. Everybody. Well, no, we don't want to hurt and be fair. Everybody. Everybody's. No, not everybody is the same. God loves everybody the same. Everybody has the same shot. But don't you tell me that the guy that's serving in church, reading his Bible, praying, giving to the poor, giving to Jesus, showing the love of God, and living a holy life, don't tell me that he has no right to be, that, that he's not holier than some bum that's out there, you know, that claims to be a Christian, but doesn't live like it. That's a lie from the pit of hell. We are not all as holy. No doubt about it. So, yeah, I mean, sure, if you want to call, well, think she's holier than us, she probably is. Just by the simple fact that you had to have that phrase come out of your mouth, she is probably holier than you. If her very presence offends you that much because she won't partake in the things that you partake in, then yes, no doubt about it, she's definitely holier than you are. And if that offends you, that shows that you don't fear the Lord. I mean, this is all, it's a big thing right here. But I promise you this. That if you get a hold of this, it will offend people around you. One Christmas, Katie and I were visiting, uh, we were with, uh, we were at a family's house in Indiana. And so they put on this movie that a lot of people I know have seen. With a 
world-famous comedian. I don't feel like I should mention names. But anyway, I hear Christians tell lines from this movie. And so they get, you know, we've got kids in the room, everything. We've got, you know, 12, 13-year-olds. Oh, 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 his new movie came out. So they put it in. And I mean, I was like, whoa. Katie and I got up and we left the house. We walked out into the snow, man. Uh, listen to me. In the, the, the scene that I saw, one guy got his, uh, his brother's wife and they were messing around in the kitchen with each other. And, and everyone's like, <laughs> laughing at this. I'm like, whoa. Dude. I mean, and the, and, and, and the sad thing is, is that I was hanging out with some people that were studying to be pastors a year later and they were telling lines from this movie. I'm, they're like, you don't get that? I'm like, no. Oh, it's from, such and such. I was like, you've seen that? You're going to stand in a pulpit and preach God's word and tell them how to live? And you think that's funny? Come on, man. That's sick. And it offended people when we got up and walked out. Where are you guys going? Oh, come on. Don't be like that. I'm going to be like that, man. Watch me. Watch me. I'm going to be like that. I am going to be like that. I am not going to put that filth into my heart. Proverbs 4.23 says to guard your heart above all else, for it affects everything you do. And in the heat of battle, when I get some sort of situation come up against me, if I've been feeding that junk into my heart, from the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. I guarantee you, the first thing to come out of my mouth won't be, you know what? By Jesus' stripes, we are healed. We're going to get, the first thing won't be a Bible verse. I'll have to dig for that Bible verse. If I've been putting that filth into me all the time. Some, some to consider. Now, when you fear the Lord, it will change the way, and it will offend people around you. So let me say this, though. Christians do not need to fear God's wrath. 1 John 4, 17 through 18. 1 John 4, 17 through 18. But this is a life-changing thing. It may not sound like, well, that doesn't sound like much fun. Hey, I really have fun with the peace and the joy that I have in my life now that I didn't used to have. I used to not have peace. Started fearing God, I've got peace now. So, you know, something to look at. First John four seventeen through 18. And this is to you, Christian. It says, and as we live in God, our love grows more perfect. So we will not be afraid on the day of judgment, but we can face him with confidence because we live like Jesus here in this world. If you live like Jesus here in this world, you don't got any, no reason to be afraid. So we're not going to be afraid on the day of judgment. We're confident because we live like Jesus in this world. Now, we understand no one's perfect. We still mess up and don't do things right. But I don't intentionally go out and do the same thing over again. But we don't, we're not, I'm not afraid of God's judgment on my life as long as I'm living in line with his word. Verse 18 says, such love has no fear. Because perfect love expels all fear. It casts out all fear. If we are afraid, it is for fear of punishment. And this shows that we have not fully experienced his perfect love. The only, ra- the only way you're afraid of God, the only reason you would be is because you aren't really walking in the love of God in your life. And because perfect love casts out all fear. So if you're walking and, and receive the love of God and, and you're walking in that, you've got nothing to be afraid of. Perfect love expels, it casts out all fear. So let me dig deeper. 
the problem with America today is not, well, we've got a bunch of sinners out there. We do. The problem is we've got people that quit fearing God. Not just outside of the church, but also inside of the Christian church. Now, I know 50 years ago, sinners had some level of the fear. Even sinners had some level of the fear of God. You know, oh, that's a church. You don't say that there. I've had people cuss me out inside of this building. Dead serious. <laughs> Come on. And I, even, I grew up in the 90s. Not Maybe for some of you that doesn't sound like that long ago, but to me it sounds like a long time ago. So I grew up in the 90s. And I feel even at our little church in Indiana, little... You know, little small town. I just, I, I feel like people had some sort of sense of the fear of God. Even people that weren't hardcore Christians. I, I felt there was some level of respect where, uh, you don't say that. That's, that's a church. You don't do that. Or, yeah, but I mean, I, I, I'm not being mean. I got people around smoking around out here and stuff and, 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 and cussing at me inside of the church wall. I, I don't get, it. I, I don't, that, that's not a fear of God. That's not, um, hey, I love everybody. Love you. Love you. Love you. Love you. But that's not cool. That's not cool. That, that you, you think so little of, of God's house that, that you're not willing to just, for an hour or two, just, you could, could you go that long without saying something nasty? Just, I mean, just two hours of your week? Could you, could you go just a little bit without, you know, without doing that? I, I, I'm just saying, it's something for us to look at that, that there is a serious lack of the fear of God. And so, the problem in our society and in America is not that sinners quit fearing God. The problem that we're seeing is that we've reached a place where the average Christian doesn't fear God anymore. Truly. Truly fear God. Leonard Ravenhill said, The world has lost the power to blush over its sin. The church has lost her power to weep over it. The world doesn't blush over it anymore. They are not ashamed, believe me. And you've seen that. They're proud of it. They have parades about it. They'll, they'll rub it in your face. And if you don't agree, then you're the crazy one. You're the mean one. You're the bad one. So the world, they don't blush about sin anymore. But the problem is, is that the church, they don't care anymore. They don't weep. They, it doesn't make them sad anymore. If sin doesn't bother you, something's wrong. It's not, you know, I'm not saying it's your job to go out and point out everybody's stuff. But... The book of Proverbs says, those who fear the Lord will hate sin. And the average Christian, they're pretty much okay with sin now. They, on TV, letting their children watch it, they're, they're, it doesn't really, doesn't rub them wrong anymore. Because the longer you're around something, you know, it just, there's no friction there. It doesn't bother you anymore. You're just, you become calloused to it. You're so used to it. You know, when you work with your hands, you're out chopping wood with an axe. I mean, for a while it hurts. You get these calluses on But the more you do it, you know, the, over the longer period of time, the longer you're around it, you build up these calluses and you don't, you don't feel it anymore. It doesn't bother you anymore. And, you know, when I, I teach people to play guitar and I play guitar and, and we get these calluses on our fingertips. And at first it's really it hurts to play the guitar because you got these little strings and you're pushing down and it hurts. But the more you do it, it doesn't hurt anymore. You don't even feel it. And that's the way it is with so many Christians. The more they just become so tolerant and so used to these things that that doesn't bother them anymore. They don't even think twice about it. They may not be out doing it themselves, but the problem is, is that it doesn't bother you. 
you're okay with it, that's a lack of the fear of the Lord. And I know each generation always thinks that, you know, the young people nowadays are worse off than they were. And I know it's been that way for thousands of years. Well, these guys back in my day, we wouldn't have. And I get that, you know, and it's, it's, it's funny and it's probably all true. But I mean, I see young people beating up teachers while their friends recorded on their phone. You see that stuff online? I mean, you got teenage kids just beating the the tar out of a a school teacher and a group of students just sitting there videotaping it. You know, respect not only for God, but for anybody. That's an issue. That's bad. I mean, and and we can take it a step further. We've got such a lack of the fear of God, then that's why people, you know, not not I don't touch politics. I'm not doing that. But I'm saying that's why it wouldn't bother you to vote for somebody that's okay for abortion. If you've got a fear of God, that terrifies you. No way in the world I would ever endorse or give somebody anything that is for abortion. And we could go into that, but that's not my topic today. But you realize that we've killed over 60 million Americans. Four million Jews died in the Holocaust, and that's awful. We've killed over 60 million. That's pretty bad. And amongst certain races, it is the leading cause of death. And that's proven by the Guttenmacher Institute. And they're the only source we have, and they work for Planned Parenthood. So that's not a biased thing. But against some races, abortion is the leading cause of death. And yet, well, I love God, but I'm for this, because they give me more money. They, they give me more of this. You don't fear God. You fear money. You love money. You don't love God. Something... To consider. I don't know how many times I'm going to say that today. I'm going to listen to this recording. <laughs> Probably count how many times I've said that. But when you don't fear God, you'll, you'll, you just want what's in it for you. Well, they said, these guys said they'd give me more money. These guys said they'd do that. That's a shame. But that's why so much of our country is in the shape it's in because Christians quit fearing the Lord like they're supposed to. Alright? And so, I'll say this. I'm going to try to come to the head here in just a second. But I want to say this. In like the last 12 years, churches as a whole in our nation have cared much more about being cool and hip and relevant. My favorite buzzword of the decade, relevant. We care more about being relevant than about being biblical, than about having the anointing of God. And I don't mean to sound like the old, you know, the old cranky old man up here, because I get that. I, I sound like that, but that's not my heart. My heart is, my heart is, I see the decline in American churches across the board. And it's, and, and the reason for that is God didn't change. A lot of churches change. And we've strived at our church to, you know, we want to keep up with the times. I walked into a church in Wisconsin a few years ago, and I was like, whoa, blast from the past. It felt like 1992. It looked, I mean, it looked exactly like my church did in 1992. Like, well, you could update a little bit. <laughs> but at the same, So, I mean, I want to be up to date, but I, I don't want to substitute the anointing and glory of God for having the best light show in town, having the best fog machine, and that's all fine, whatever. But I don't need that. I don't need it. And and churches have, and, and since about 2006, you can track it down and document it, the American church has big time 
declined in the past 12 years. And it's when we started being more cool and like, well, we got to be like them. So they'll want to come in and be like us. And 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 you don't have to act like the world to win the world. You got to act like Jesus. It's worked for thousands of years. Well, and so I was in Las Vegas and I saw this billboard that caught my eye. It said, is the church uh, the church for people who don't like church? Church for people who don't like church. And I'm like, that's interesting. It caught my attention. And so I looked them up and their website, the current sermon series at that time, the title of the series was Dropping the F-Bomb. Now, I didn't click it to find out what that meant. I didn't want to find out what that meant. But <laughs> I don't want to see that. I don't know what that means. But And so I was like, well, let's read some reviews of this place. And, like, you know, I'm just, hey, doing some research. The reviews were, in my opinion, hilarious because everybody saw right through them. You're a bunch of posers. You're fake. We don't want nothing to do with you. And this church, they, they advertise a lot, but they, I have seen, they really are not doing that well. But here's one of the reviews I read on Google. Do you have time for this? Okay. Here's a Google review of this church. This is somebody that does not actually go to church, but they said the so-called worship music was mainly songs from Pearl Jam <laughs> and lasted about 20 minutes. <laughs> the only slightly good worship song had the word hallelujah in it. <laughs> They flooded my neighborhood with flyers. I even told the person handing them out that I'm not a church person. He said, dude, I feel you, bro, but you got to come to, I'll, I'll leave their name out. He said, dude, the music is the beep. For a Christian to come on my property and use language like that is an insult. Don't waste your time with this church. You will not learn anything at all here. That's what a that's what an unsaved person wrote in their review about this church. Can you imagine we're out inviting people to church? Yeah, our church is the. I mean, come on, how pathetic! There's no fear of God there, and I've I've researched them more just for kicks. And I mean, I wouldn't I wouldn't send my kids in. I'd send my kids into the probably the bar before I'd send them into that place because that place is professing Jesus, and he ain't nowhere near there. Mike, not a chance in the world. That's disgusting, man. Bunch of nasties. And so, but, but, but I'm telling you, that's the type of stuff we're fighting here. And so when you fear the Lord, you got people like that. When you want to be a disciple, when you want to live holy for God, you got that crowd over there that supposedly is on your team and they're putting you down. They're mocking you and making fun of you. Do you see why our nation and our world is in some of the shape that it's in? Christian. The problem isn't that sinners quit fearing God. It's that Christians quit fearing God, many of them. And when you get a hold of this, it'll change your life. And so I want to look at one final verse, Ecclesiastes 12, verses 13 and 14. But maybe you should examine your life today and say, well, do I have such a reverence for God that it controls what I watch on my phone and on TV? Do I have such a respect for God that it controls where I go, who I talk to, what I say, the music I listen to? And I've never been one to get up and preach about that worldly music. But I can tell you, you know, that you need to watch the music you listen to because music is one of the most powerful things in this world. It affects the soul. Just think about it. It'll change your entire mood. You listen to some, you could have been in a great mood, and then you listen to some sappy song, and like, oh, man, oh. oh. You just got the blues all of a sudden. Listen, music will affect your soul, your mind, will, and emotions. Music is powerful, man, powerful. And so 
that's something that when you fear the Lord, you, you know, you, you're careful what you let come into you. So as we're turning, well, let's go ahead and, and, and read this. Ecclesiastes 12, 13 and 14. So in the book of Ecclesiastes, Solomon, the son of King David, he sets out to find the true meaning of life. Solomon is crazy rich, quite possibly the richest person in the history of the world. If you were to total Solomon's money in modern day, I, 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 I had a calculation at once, but he would be a trillionaire in modern society. Solomon was loaded. Solomon, uh, the Bible says, was the wisest king, the wisest person to ever live. Solomon had a lot going for him. He also had a couple hundred wives or thousand. And I, that's where I think, I don't think we should go there. That's not good. <laughs> But anyway, so Solomon, though, to a lot of guys, I mean, it's like, this is the perfect guy. He's got everything going for him, but he still couldn't figure out the meaning of life. And so you read the book of Ecclesiastes, he tries, he's like, well, I'll just go out and study as much as I can and get as smart as I can. Then he finds out, well, knowledge isn't the meaning of life. Well, I'll just go out and have as much pleasure as I can. And so he goes out and has fun and pleasure and, and, and all this stuff. Like, well, pleasure, that doesn't that's not the meaning of life. I'll get as much money as I can. He finds out, well, money's not the meaning of life. That didn't do it. And he tries all these things and finds out that none of them are really the meaning of life. And so we even today hear people ask the big question, what is the meaning of life? Well, love your family and do good to others. And that's nice stuff. But here's the meaning of life. Solomon answered it for you. Ecclesiastes 12, verse 13. He said, that's the whole story. Here now is my final conclusion. Fear God and obey his commands, for this is everyone's duty. God will judge us for everything we do, including every secret thing, whether good or bad. And so the meaning of life, according to Solomon, the wisest person ever, fear God and obey his commands. And when you do that, it'll change everything. I'm going to close out with one final story here that I heard uh, John Bevere, if you know who he is, he's a well-known preacher. Very, very good. Very good. But he's one of the few guys I know that actually does series on the fear of the Lord. I, I have a hard time finding, you know, where people have preached very much on this. But John Bevere is one of those few guys I found that actually preaches on the topic of the fear of the Lord extensively. And he was telling a story about how... Uh, he was in the 80s. He gets a phone call from the prison and somebody wants him to come pay a visit. And I'm okay to say this name because both men have given permission. The person who wanted to visit was a preacher named Jim Baker. He was in prison. He, you know, you maybe know who he is. Some of you younger guys probably don't. But he did some very bad things. And he was in prison and he deserved to be there. And he knew it. But he's in prison and, and John Bevere goes to visit him. And he walks in, and, and of course, here's this guy he used to see on TV in a suit and preaching, and here he is in an orange jumpsuit. And he says, and they're talking, and John says, I just don't get it. You did all this stuff. When did you quit loving God, Jim? And he's like, whoa, I never quit loving him. I can promise you, throughout all this, all the dumb things I did, I never quit loving God. I was even still reading my Bible. I was still doing all these things. I, I never quit loving him. I loved him the whole time. I quit fearing him. And when I lost the fear of the Lord in my life, I somehow justified my actions. And a lot of people, Christians, maybe at one point they feared the Lord, but they kind of started backing away from that. 
And when you do, you will justify wrong behavior. You will justify the things that you do, and you'll excuse it. I know it says this, but I just feel like this is for me. I, I, I feel like I'm okay with this, or I just, you know, and, and, and you justify it in, well, he's rich and I'm poor, so I can take his money. There's, I mean, if it was a poor person, I wouldn't steal from Stealing's wrong. It's just as wrong to steal from a billionaire as it is a poor guy. Stealing is stealing, right? And we justify it, though, or, oh, I know, but she looked at me first, and, and I just, uh, and, and we justify the wicked things that go on. And why is that? You, you still love the Lord, but you quit fearing the Lord. And when you lose the fear of God, your life is in trouble in a big, big way. And so I want to discuss this for the next few weeks, but I want to challenge us today. Judge your life, man. Life is too critical for you to be in a position where you don't fear God. Your children need you to fear the Lord. They need parents that fear God and live their life by His commands. The people around you, your husband and wife, they need you to be a person who fears the Lord. I wasn't for a long time, even as a Christian, but I am now. And it's changed everything. Do I regret it, giving up some things? I don't regret it. I don't need that junk. I've got the peace of God. I traded, I traded the junk for the peace of God. I traded the junk for the joy of the Lord, for, for, for a restored home, for, for beautiful things. I traded all that out, and I don't miss it at all. The, for the Lord is where it's all at. Amen. Let's stand up together today. Thank you for listening to this podcast. For more information, visit hdwc.org.